1: the swamp 24 7 podcast i'm thomas gold camp joined here by blake alderman Blake, uh i didn't actually tell you this before we started shooting but my dog got two tooth extractions on friday so she's still a little bit out of it she's here in the room with me hopefully uh hopefully she doesn't freak out or whine too much uh, but i didn't want her off on her own maybe trying to get with it so bear with me if we have <laughs> a little surprise i'm
2: just, just want to know where gold camp's cat is
1: right i know uh, the 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 infamous message board cat is lurking somewhere off in the distance but uh, Blake, let's talk about this Florida Alabama game. You know, we went in thinking it was going to be a tall task, probably for Florida to manage to pull off a win. Not that it was impossible. You know, we talked about. I thought leading into the game that this was a good time of the year to catch Alabama. You know, Bryce Young still being a guy who was going to be making his third start in the swamp. I thought, you know, after going back and rewatching Alabama's first two games, I thought they just weren't quite. You know, that juggernaut Alabama that you're used to seeing, particularly up front on the O-line. I thought they had some issues. Um, And then, you know, I'll be honest, I thought Florida could have some success running the ball, Blake, but I didn't see it happening the way it did last night. Was that maybe the thing that surprised you the most, how Florida just kind of leaned on Alabama and took it to them?
2: It was. You know, I thought, you know, as watching the game went on, you know, I think Florida started out slow, obviously. But whenever you saw that defense bounce back, I thought Florida, even on offense, I thought they were the more physical team just throughout the 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 point of the game you know like i like i said it seemed like they continued to get stronger as the game went on um just really physical i thought the offensive line played well you know obviously running the ball you think alabama's defense you know you you do think juggernaut defense you think you know big defensive linemen that are three deep of being five star type of players and i thought florida was really physical up front and i really think that that opened up the 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 running game for them and i thought that was impressive that was definitely the storyline to me of the game for florida on offense
1: well we've got to talk we've got to talk obviously about what happened early in the game. Right. The the number one thing that you kind of circled going in was you thought the crowd could be a factor. And luckily for Florida, despite a really bad start, I thought the crowd was a factor from start to finish. I mean, my ears are still ringing a little bit. Uh, you know, I got some chills when they did third quarter uh, Tom Petty. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it was as impressive for you as it was for me. But, man, my ears were ringing and uh, it it almost seemed like Florida lost that potential X factor in the game. They come out go down 21 to three, the defense, man. I mean, Alabama's first three drives, even if this was a game where Florida had been able to play Anthony Richardson. And we'll talk more about that in a bit. Um, Alabama was up 21 to three by the time Florida got to its third offensive drive. So it wasn't a case where like, you know, uh, you know, you could maybe get Anthony Richardson in there and then, and then maybe get going. I mean, Florida got smacked in the mouth coming out of the gates. I mean, I, I don't know that I fully expected that quite as much. Um, I guess is that more concerning to you that that still happened against an Alabama or you're more impressed with the way they turned it around really after that first quarter.
2: You know, I think it's concerning whenever you have a team like Alabama, you know, jump out to a leader or really any team jump out to a lead like that. The storylines coming in, I know the story that you posted, you know, talking to Tim Tebow after, uh, excuse me, before SEC Nation was that Florida was going to have to come out and take shots early. They're going to have to, you know, come out and and essentially punch Alabama in the mouth and and make that game known. I think it had some remnants, maybe not obviously the same game of being high scoring of that Florida-Alabama SEC championship game to where Alabama jumped out early. Florida really bounced back, made it close. But I think the more impressive thing to me is just the, the fight that Florida's defense showed. You know, they really did lock down Alabama in that second half. Um, like I said, I thought they were very physical. I thought the defensive line played great again. Um, so you know, I think that to me was more surprising to see them turn things around and really kind of bounce back and, and be resilient the way they were.
1: Yeah, and I, I think let, let's go ahead and talk about the defense now, spend some time talking about this because obviously. Last year was historically bad. Statistically, obviously there's some you know mitigating factors. You played an SEC only schedule. Defenses really didn't get a chance to do as much live tackling because you had spring ball missing. You didn't have a full offseason strength and conditioning program. I think a lot of people came into the year thinking, you know, at a minimum, Florida was going to have to play much better defensively just to match kind of where they were a year ago. When you talk about losing Kyle Trask, Kadarius Tony, Kyle Pitts. And, I think for Florida to be a team that can really make a splash in the playoffs, at least early, the defense was going to have to be good enough to kind of carry its weight. I don't know that they fully did that yesterday because you can't write off the 21 points that they scored right away. Sure. But I think you're seeing signs that um, maybe, and, and I don't know, I mean, I want your opinion on this because this is a very hot hot button topic. It's something that fans won't necessarily all agree on. It seemed to me last night that Florida looked a lot more sound defensively in what they were trying to do. Um, I thought the secondary played a lot better. Obviously, you had a lot of bang bang calls, a lot of, in my opinion, a couple questionable pass interference penalties. I mean, the one on that third down for Kyrie Elam, man, I didn't really see it. Uh, one of the, I think it was the first or second play of the game, the deep shot against Trey Dean. I was right down there above it. I mean, that was right around. you know, the yard marker I was at sitting up in the press box. I got to be honest with you, Blake, I thought, and, you know, the CBS feed was lagging by like, you know, a minute, minute and a half. So I tweeted, I thought the ball got there, you know, before Dean made the hit. So you had some questionable calls, but those are kind of bang, bang plays. Those aren't really scheme related necessarily. And then I thought even with the, you know, the three touchdown drives that Alabama had early, to me, it didn't really seem as much scheme-related as it did guys just not making plays. And what I mean by that is missed tackles obviously were a huge factor early on. I think you can live with that, right? Like, if, if guys are in position to potentially make plays and it's a matter of whether or not a guy like Travez Johnson or Rashad Torrance or Amari Burney or whoever is able to break down in space and make that tackle, to me, that's fine scheme-wise. Like, you're going to miss some. That's football. Um, But I thought early on it was much more a lack of execution more so than scheme. I mean, I know that you were kind of down at field level, so it's harder to see, but am I completely wrong there?
2: You know, I think it was more of an execution thing, you know, missing those tackles, you know, it's football, you're going to miss them. But I think the amount that racked up in that first quarter for Florida, I think is where, you know, where, where my concern was, obviously they did bounce back. They played a lot better in the secondary, but you know, Treves Johnson was always known as one of those sure big hitter type of guys, but you need to wrap up. You need to make those sound tackles. Kind of the same things with Trey Dean. A lot of these guys for Florida are big hitter type of guys. And I think that that's part of the things where you saw Sean Davis, you know, go for those big hits instead of soundly wrapping up. And you saw those, you know, miscommunications and those, you know, little, you know, you know, head tapper type of mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, normally you don't see but you a guy like Kyrie Elam, you know, on I think it was the third touchdown where Florida for, excuse me, where Alabama, you know, scored the 21. I think he had the missed tackle there. There's just a lot of out of character type of things, you know, normally Kyer Elam, you don't see that type of play for him. So, you know, they got it cleaned up and that's good. But I think that if they come out of the gate and play a little bit more sound there, yeah. it's, it's a different game early on.
1: No, I agree. And, and I mean, again, like that, that kind of thing is going to happen. And I think when right. you're able to turn it around and, and play the way that they did, um, I, I don't know. I
2: to me, defense is very much a short memory type of you know position. You know, you can't sit there and, and focus on those things. So I think that that showed fight, and that should, you know those things are great. You know, those are those commendable things.
1: And I think from a culture standpoint, we kind of had an idea that was going to be the case, right? Like, I mean, I didn't expect a Dan Mullen team to give up. Um, right. You know, he's he's gone on about his thumb wrestling thing, and you know, we can talk about whether or not that that same mentality applies to recruiting. I know some people have questioned that, or loyalty to assistance and all that. But the players to me have never shown any reflection that they're not all bought in on that. Right. Like, right. so I, I, you know, at the end of the day, it does it, in some ways it does come down to cleaning up execution. It's unfortunate that Florida wasn't able to make a couple more of those plays. And I, and I will say, man, I, I am not one to typically talk about the refs and I actually um I applaud Trey Dean for coming out there last night because he was asked about some of those pass interference penalties after the game when he was talking to the media. And he straight up didn't try to make excuses. He said, hey, you know what? Some of those are bang, bang plays. You know, we can't control that. So the only thing we can do is they call it on us. Guess what? We got to go out there and stop the next play. And I thought that was kind of, that's the mentality you want to hear. You don't want to hear guys making excuses. But that said, Blake, I, I really did. I thought the refs impacted Florida's momentum early on, you know, because it wasn't like Alabama, you know, it wasn't like Florida had just like kind of one stop and, you know, the third down penalty extended the drive. It was much more a case of, I thought Florida came up with like a couple stops here and there, here and there, here and there. And then it was like every single time it was like something popped up, whether it's, you know, a penalty on Elam or whatever to extend the drive. The
2: one on Jason Marshall, I believe it was later yeah. in the game too. So
1: it just, to me, it was like, even in those first two drives, they made a lot of stops within the the series and it was just one of those killer penalties that ended up doing a man. So I, I, I gotta be honest, Blake, I thought the defensive performance was really, really impressive. Not that the offense wasn't. And we'll talk about that because there's a lot to get to at quarterback. Anthony see, Florida's one
2: of those teams where Dan Mullen, you know, they're going to put up yards. You know, they're going to put up points. Exactly. And defense that was the talking point last year. So I think that that was the big statement they made.
1: Yeah. And I think, I, I don't know, again, to me, I, and I am not an X's and O's expert. I'll stress this repeatedly on this podcast. I leave that to other guys. But to me, I didn't. I I saw a lot of instances where Alabama just barely made the play, or you know, just picked up what they needed for the first down, extended the drive, whatever. Where a lot of times Florida had a guy that was responsible for that area who had a chance to make the play short of the sticks, and for whatever reason, whether it was a you know poor job breaking down, a bad angle, a missed tackle, just couldn't quite get it. And you do that enough times against Alabama, it ends up costly. Even even against an Alabama team, Blake, that I think is maybe not quite as much of a juggernaut as we're used to seeing from them. And and I think, you know, how much does this game say about Florida? Let me, let me ask you before I get into my thoughts on that, because I have a couple big picture takeaways on, you know, whether or not this is really truly in week three, you know, indicative of what a two-point loss to Alabama later in the season would be. but. How do you come out of this game thinking, okay, here's where Florida's headed? Here's, you know, that was a really good loss against Bama. Where do you stand generally?
2: You know, I think Florida's still a really good team. You know, I think that, you know, even if Alabama's not, you know, maybe the same team they were last year, some teams you expect for Alabama. Again, it is early in the season. You know, they're developing, they have a lot of young guys too. So, I think that it shows that Florida, you know, Florida's ranked 11th. I think they're a top 10 team, you know, from that showing. Mm -hmm. I don't know where I'd fall. You know, it's hard during football season whenever you're at, you know, Florida games to really watch everyone in the top 25 or the top 10 or all those things. But I think that, you know, obviously you would expect that Florida's going to have some kind of drop on the AP poll, but I think that they played like a top 10 type of team last night.
1: I think you're right. Uh, I think, and I guess, I guess, so here's the interesting thing for me. We we, we, we always try to talk about nar- like this team in narratives, right? Like like what's the big picture direction of the program after a win like this? And we even set it up that way beforehand. And and I know that's somewhat a media thing, but it's also that's the way fans look at these things. They want to know, okay, based on that game, what can we expect going forward? And I think to play Alabama to within two points, yes, you were at home. Yes, it was Alabama in week three, but it's still Alabama, man. That's a deep, deep team. Um, I think the real difference between Florida's program and Alabama's program at this point isn't necessarily those frontline, top-line starter guys. I think it's the depth, right? And going forward, that's more where I'm concerned with Florida than maybe those starting units. Because I think we've seen that's two years in a row now, Dan Mullen, You know, when he's got most of his starters available and they play the majority of the reps, you can play Alabama toe to toe, right? I mean, we saw that last night. There's no doubt about it. Florida pretty much dominated Alabama, I would say, on both sides of the ball. Not special teams. Special teams, they lost that battle, I would say. But Florida, for the most part, controlled the game against Alabama, both offensively and defensively after that first quarter. That's impressive, man. Not many teams can do that, right? So first off, huge, huge credit to Dan and his staff, for what they drew up. Both sides of the ball, I thought both schemes, you know, the game plan that they had going in, you saw Florida very much try to exploit the tight ends early. That worked. And then they just kind of leaned on Alabama in the run game. And when you can do that, man, if you can do that against Alabama, I guess so big picture-wise, if you can do that against Alabama, you can probably expect to do that against the rest of the schedule. Again... If you can keep those top line guys, the starters healthy. And that's where I guess if you were, you know, playing devil's advocate, so to speak, on tempering optimism coming out of that game, you did have a couple guys banged up. You know, John DeLance was in and out of that game. He was in and out of the game last week at right tackle. He's been playing really well. So before the year, we might have thought, oh, maybe that ends up being a silver lining. I don't think so anymore. I think he's playing really well. Stuart Reese left the game last night or left the stadium last night after the game in a walking boot. You've got another guy on the O-line potentially dealing with injury. We've taught, you know, Anthony Richardson banged up, obviously another playmaker that you can use. I guess, Blake, the question for me kind of still big picture wise in terms of the whole season comes back around to that end question is the depth good enough to consistently be at that level. And obviously that's the difference between Florida and Alabama right now is Alabama You know, if they lose some top line guys, uh, you know, maybe they're younger top line guys that aren't quite where they were a year ago. But even if they lose those guys, you're plugging in really, really talented guys. I think at Florida, that's maybe not quite the case like this weekend. And I, you know, we didn't really talk too much because I know you've been on the road about what we were going to talk about on the show. I don't want to talk about recruiting too much, but that's where Florida has to capitalize the amount of guys they had in the stadium last night. I guess real quick before we take a break, because we're going to talk about this, I think, more in Tuesday's episode. What was your impression of how this game impacted recruits? Because a lot of, in a lot of ways, that's probably the bigger story for Florida building going forward than maybe just being two points behind Alabama right now.
2: Yeah, you know, obviously it hasn't led any commitments, you know, coming out of the visit. Um, but they had so many top-tier type of guys in there. You know, I have a confirmed list of guys that actually made it in. It's, it's you know, a mile long. That's on Swamp 24-7. I actually posted a story this morning of just a bunch of different, you know, 20-something recruits just that were at the game. Their thoughts on the atmosphere, you know, the play. You know, a lot of the defensive linemen were impressed with their defensive, you know, the, the, how they were in the trenches. They had a lot of talented defensive linemen there. Um, really, a lot of the guys just complimented. You know, I I can't tell you how many times I've had someone tell me, you know, I had a headache coming after the game. My ears are still ringing. You know, that was the loudest type of game I've ever been to. I think that that was what was really the biggest storyline for a lot of these guys was experiencing something like that, seeing Florida go toe-to-toe with Alabama. You know, yeah, they didn't win, but Florida made it really respectable. They made it a close game. You know, they they showed fight. They bounced back. A lot of those things, and I had – um, and I can't remember off the top of my head who it was, but I actually it was four-star defensive back Austin Osbury. He complimented the leadership in the deep, you know, in the defensive side of the ball, in the locker room, just how the fact that Florida got down, but still had the leadership to bounce back. So there were a lot of big storylines, and a lot of positives that came out of the recruits that were there, even though it wasn't a win.
1: Yeah. And I and I think, man, again, going back to how that game started, man, Florida avoided a complete disaster. I mean. If that game turns into a blowout the way it looked in the first quarter, you're talking about not just fans checking out, but, I mean, recruits. It gets very hard to argue, hey, we're moving in the right direction. When you play them to six points one year, you lose a couple top talents like Kyle Trask and company, and then all of a sudden it becomes a blowout the next year. That would have, I think, hurt Florida a lot. Now, we'll see how Florida capitalizes on a two-point game, the momentum of the Swamp, all that going forward. Again, they still have to close. But I think that is a very, very positive development for Florida. And then I think, you know, for this team itself, all the goals are still on the table, man. Nobody, you know, you talked about the polls. I don't know where Florida is going to fall. I think the entire top 10 won yesterday. So I I don't know if they'll move up. I don't know if they'll move down. But big picture wise, when you, you know, when you get into the college football playoff committee, putting together their rankings, you're not going to get dinged for a two point loss to Alabama, even at home. So Florida controls its destiny. They go out and take care of business and win the games they're supposed to. They'll be in Atlanta again, and probably it will be Alabama, the team that they get to take another shot at. But, Blake, let's take a quick break. I want to talk quarterback. We have to because Emery Jones, I thought, played a much better game. But where does that leave us? I mean, Anthony Richardson is still a very talented guy. Let's tackle that on the other side of this commercial break.
0: Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
1: Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 podcast. I'm Thomas Golcamp here with Blake Alderman. Blake, let's talk about quarterbacks. I'll be honest with you, based on what I was hearing throughout the week from sources within the program, what Bob Redman, our co-worker, was hearing from sources within the program, I felt very optimistic. Uh, I I would even say pretty sure that Anthony Richardson was going to play yesterday. So I was surprised that he didn't go. And I'm not exactly sure what to make of that just yet. Obviously he's still dealing with the hamstring injury. That's not fake news. Uh, That it wasn't something that Florida conjured up to try to catch Alabama off guard, which I know in some corners of the internet, there were some conspiracy theories Some Tim Hatters there that, that, uh, that Dan Mullen was, you know, masterminding this whole grand scheme to have him spring free against Alabama. But Blake, from all the reporting I did, and and obviously we got it wrong at the final step about him actually playing yesterday, it seems like Anthony Richardson is pretty close to 100%. I mean, you saw him down in the pregame, manages to do his back handspring and backflip To me, a guy is reasonably close if he's doing that and not worrying about it. Dan Mullen said the MRI that they did Friday on Anthony Richardson's hamstring was very positive. He's ahead of where they thought he was going to be. Again, that jives with kind of the info that I got, you know, as late as Friday and Saturday morning into the week that things looked very positive and and Richardson would probably play. I think to some degree, Dan Mullen, you know, very much was concerned about the injury. I think the trainers told him, hey, this is an injury with a hamstring where if you try to push it, he could very well make it worse. I think they wanted to make sure he's at 100%. But Blake, if you had told most Florida fans that Anthony Richardson is not going to play number one, number two, you're going to go down 21 to three. Emory Jones is going to have thrown an interception. Like, I think most people would be sitting here today saying, Emory Jones is done. He cannot be our guy. Whenever Anthony Richardson is healthy, he's the starter. That is the complete opposite reaction of where I'm at now with the way it actually played out after that start. I thought Emery Jones really, really bounced back. And we talked about it in the podcast last week. I thought the biggest thing was we were so down on Emery Jones. And I wrote this on Swamp 24-7 last week after going through the game again. It wasn't so much that Emery Jones made a bunch of mistakes in week two. It's that the ones that he made were killer mistakes. They were the big mistake. And what you saw yesterday was a continuation, in my opinion, of that improvement from game two with an elimination of the deadly, deadly mistakes, you know, through the one interception. But in my opinion, that really wasn't even on him. He got pressure off left tackle was being hit as he threw and the, and the ball sailed. I thought Emory Jones being able to eliminate those critical mistakes was a huge difference. And I thought he really commanded the offense. Well, is that your impression? And what do you do if you're Emery or what do you do if you're Dan Mullen going forward? I mean, is Emery your guy? And that answered all the
2: questions for you. See, I was actually, you know, whenever I saw Anthony Richardson do the backflip before the game, I'm thinking, oh, he's fine, you know. And then I guess I have a tin hat on myself and I, you know, you can ask, you know, I'll answer your question, but I, it just popped in my head. Do you think Dan Mullen made a statement in playing Emory Jones to kind of kill this QB controversy? You know, this is my guy, you know, yeah, we could have played Anthony Richardson, which like you said, you know, it makes sense. You know, if in an injury, your guy that, you know, is kind of, you know, should I play him? Should I not? But am I crazy to think that this was Dan Mullen making a statement saying that Emory's my guy and kind of killing this QB competition talk?
1: I think you're not crazy. You're not crazy because I think, that's obviously a factor that Dan Mullen has been weighing when it comes to his quarterback room right so if it if it wasn't for that fact, you know that Dan Mullen has been so staunch in support of Emory Jones that he really has nipped in the bud any sort of suggestion that maybe he'd even consider making a change through the first two weeks, I think how vociferous he was in kind of his defense of emory says. That's a factor that he was considering that he really, really does not want to give Emery, I think, any reason to question his status as the guy. And I think there's a reason for that. And we talked about it. I think Dan Mullen knows he's going to need both of these guys throughout the course of the right. season.
2: And that's my answer going forward for them is I think you're still going to need both of them. You know, yeah, yeah Emory is your guy. I think he made that statement. I think he played enough to show that he's the guy. You know, the talk for me, the question has always been for the quarterbacks. Do you play the guy that has the higher ceiling in Anthony Richardson or do you play the guy that you can call more with because he knows more your playbook in Emory Jones? I think whenever you look at that, you see how slippery he is from running the ball. Um, You know, I think the tight ends using them, I think that that kind of made Emory Jones a little bit more comfortable getting those tight ends because those are, you know, like a quarterback safety net now in today's college football game. So I think that that kind of opened up and built some confidence for him. And I think he's really showed that, you know, he he he's going to make mistakes. You know, you saw those first two games. I thought he played a lot cleaner against Alabama, had the interception. You know, there were a lot of variables that went into it. But I think for the most part, um, you know, he showed that, you know, he has command of that offense. And I think that that was one of the biggest things. In the first two games, he just never looked like he was comfortable. He had command mm-hmm. of the offense. You throw Anthony Richardson in there, it just seemed to kind of flip a switch. And I think that that was the biggest thing that Emory showed me this past or this past Saturday.
1: See, I thought he looked a lot more comfortable in week two, but he still had those process. It just speed wasn't issues. there. It was
2: just slow. It seemed like he was figuring things out, still kind of on the fly. I just think there was a difference. He, uh, like we said, from FAU to USF, there was improvement. I think there was a bigger jump from from both of those games to Alabama.
1: I think so, and and I guess you know I, I think. Let me ask you this. If Anthony Richardson had been available, say there's no hamstring concern whatsoever, would that have made enough of a difference in your mind for Florida to beat Alabama yesterday?
2: It's hard to say, you know, I don't know that you're going to get those explosive type of plays. You know, if I'm just going off of what Dan Mullen said and Anthony Richardson is missing, you know, the first prior, you know, primary check, you know, check in the offense, or he's missing, you know, protection type of calls. Those calls can be ca- costly against a, da- like a team like Alabama. That's, you know, way better than, you know, the FAUs and the USFs. I would think that you could see some of those big type of plays, maybe not an 80 yard touchdown or a 75 yard pass, but I think that those explosive plays are still what he brings. So uh, I think there could have been a different outcome. Obviously, it comes down to an extra point making that. I think that was a bigger, you know, bigger factor in the game, obviously, because, you know, look where Florida, how the final score ended. I don't know that throwing Anthony Richardson there changes my opinion so much on the score, but I definitely think that you could have seen maybe Florida's offense have some of those more explosive plays earlier on and not kind of build up the progress that they did throughout the game.
1: Yeah, and I agree with that. I think, I think what you saw last night was Emory Jones really, I thought you saw pretty clearly that Emory Jones kind of, grab that command of the offense. And that's why he's the starter. You know, it's not necessarily. And Dan Mullen even said in fall camp, right? Like if Kyle Trask is like 90% on these kind of automatic throws that you think, you know, are, are automatic should be completions every time. Emery Jones is going to be more like 80%, right? He's going to miss more of those with some accuracy. And we saw that even last night. And especially in the first two weeks, I think what you saw was his command of the offense and the ability to make checks at the line, the ability to kind of make the right decisions on things where maybe fans don't really realize that he's even making a decision, right? Like there's a lot of mis like decisions that get made that the casual fans not going to see that I'm not going to see. Um, but somebody like a coach may see in terms of, Hey, here's the three options that he had pre-snap. Did he pick the, the one that was most likely to be successful? I think that's what Emory Jones is doing really well right now. And if you listen to Nick Saban after last night's game, uh, Florida was able to do with Emory Jones the things that it wanted to do to keep Alabama from doing certain things defensively. And what I mean by that is Nick Saban pointed to that speed option that they ran almost all night as something that really forced their defensive front to get out of some things that they wanted to do defensively to take Florida out of the game. So Dan Mullen dictated to Alabama's defense what they were going to have to do based on Emory Jones's command of the offense, based on the fact that Emory Jones when he's running that speed option was making the right choices was checking into the speed option. You know, when the numbers aligned right in the box, that kind of thing, that in my opinion is something that I'm not sure Anthony Richardson can do. And that's not a knock on Richardson. That's not to say he can't make something happen on those plays with his sheer athletic ability, but to your point, you're less likely for those big explosive plays to hit at least as often as they have against an Alabama. Right. And so that's kind of the dynamic going forward. I think from a, You know, we can we can talk about the decision of whether or not Anthony Richardson should have played all day. At the end of the day, I think what's clear is Dan Mullen needed both guys and that was not going to change like that. That was his view and that wasn't going to change. And that started, in my opinion, with making sure that Anthony or sorry, making sure that Emory Jones's confidence remained high such that he's your guy. The team still has belief in him. Emory still has belief in himself. And I think when you come out of a game against Alabama where one, Anthony Richardson didn't even play and two, Emery Jones commanded the offense the way that he did. And you come out losing only by two points to me, that team is fully bought in on Emery and fully bought in on Dan Mullen's plan to work in Anthony Richardson, to get guys in the best spots to make plays. That's about as good as you could come out of it. When you've got a Florida fan base who, Uh, is very passionate, man. And they know this quarterback position. They know what they see when they have an insane athlete. And when you've had a guy like Tim Tebow, who's come through before, you can't blame the fans for seeing a guy like Anthony Richardson and wanting to see him out there more, wanting to see what it could look like when he has the full offense. But I think Florida's in a good position moving forward. And I think, you know, we, we give Dan Mullen a lot of credit for quarterbacks. We probably still don't give him enough because we were questioning him for the first two weeks. And based on what he showed against Alabama, he knew what he was doing.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Now we know. Don't ever question Dan Mullen. Rule one
1: <laughs> on quarterbacks. On
2: quarterbacks. Yeah, on quarterback. I'm gonna I'm gonna
1: hold out the the right to question other things, particularly yeah, uh, defensive right. defensive decisions. I'm gonna leave that card out there. Uh, but no, I, I mean, I, bottom line, I thought Florida played really well. I thought they showed a lot, and I think again, it, it Dan Mullen did enough. Florida did enough yesterday to keep the trajectory, the direction it's going. Clearly, they're moving closer towards being able to beat teams like Alabama, right? I mean, like, let me put it this simply. Think about how many mistakes Florida made yesterday. When you're talking about the pass interference penalty, you talk about a missed extra point. You talk about, uh, you know, Emory Jones missing some passes here and there. You talk about the amount of timeouts that Florida had to take. To avoid delay games, there were so many different mistakes. Missed Miss you on
2: that two point conversion.
1: The two point conversion. I mean, there were so many different mistakes that Florida made. For them to still be in that with a chance is a huge testament to what Dan Mullen did. And again, I go back to. Hey, How many teams lean on Alabama with the run game like that? And it wasn't like it was like a couple fluke plays. I mean, we're talking about entire drives, 99 yard drives, 75 yard drives in the fourth quarter against Alabama.
2: Right. And I think I read a stat that that was the second 99 drive in Nick Saban's career. I don't know if it was just in general or at Alabama, but that's impressive.
1: Yeah. I mean, I didn't even see that one, but I mean, you're talking about Florida has now piled up 400 yards on offense for 13 consecutive games. Alabama had a 22 game streak on offense going into that game of 400 plus yards on offense. This is the first time in 23 games that they were held under 400 yards. That's a Hats off to Todd Grantham. Again, I thought Florida had a really good plan and you see, I think when you talk about the rest of the season, as long as Florida's O line can stay healthy, I go back to these top line starters versus the depth being kind of what's going to decide the rest of Florida's season from here. If they can stay relatively healthy and or develop the depth at a reasonable rate, and I'm talking about guys like Josh Braun, guys like Michael Tarquin, you know, if those guys are able to pick up if they need to where DeLance and Stuart Reese left off, I don't see any reason why Florida can't do this to every team on the schedule except maybe Georgia. I mean, that's the only defense I see where you can look on paper and say, talent-wise, Georgia is probably going to be able to slow down that run. We're going to need to be able to pass against them. Everybody else, I mean, to me, this looks very legitimately like a situation where Florida could, if they execute, come out, run the table, and meet Alabama again. Now, I don't think this team's good enough to assume that's going to happen. I mean, I think the depth will be tested. There's going to be injuries in some spots. You've already seen it, and that's going to be the question mark. But I mean, Dan Mullen, I think, clearly at this point in year four, still has the program continued in the right trajectory. And when you talk about upside versus downside of that game against Alabama, the downside was potentially that you get blown out and it throws things off. Florida avoided that. Not only did they avoid that, I think they surpassed a lot of people's expectations. You know, all the offseason talk about the O-line potentially being a weakness. Guess what? Those guys are playing like one of the best units on the team. Hats off to John Hevesy. Hats off to Greg Knox. I think this Florida program is moving in the right direction. Now it's about capitalizing, making sure you don't drop a game you're not supposed to, like a Kentucky, a Tennessee, uh, LSU, take care of business against Georgia, and then make it pay on the recruiting trail. Blake, you do those things. I see no reason why Dan Mullen isn't the right guy for this Florida program. Now, it's not going to happen overnight. This is not going to be a process where we say, okay, now we're within two points of Alabama. We're here. That's, That's not how this works. It never has been. But in my opinion, Florida is pretty convincingly headed in the right direction.
2: Absolutely. I agree with everything he said.
1: All right. Well, Blake, let's uh, let's go ahead and wrap the podcast there. Tuesday, I want to talk to you a lot about recruiting. I wanted to kind of give you a chance to actually get back in late dissect through
2: the 2087 yeah. Yeah. interviews on my phone.
1: Interviews. If you need help transcribing anything, let me know. I can I can maybe stick around after I review the, the tape from the last game. But uh, we'll be back on Tuesday. I want to spend some time talking recruiting. And then we'll probably talk a little bit more, I think, about this quarterback situation, about – where the teams at health-wise going forward after we get a chance to talk to Dan Mullen? I think what we're going to do, guys, after this first three weeks, I think Tuesdays make a little bit more sense for a second podcast of the week rather than Mondays. It seemed like when we did the, the quick follow-up before Dan Mullen's press conference on Monday, we didn't really cover a whole lot of new ground. That was kind of the feedback that was given to me. So we'll wait until after Monday's press conferences, interviews with players. That'll give us some interesting topics, potentially. We'll talk to Blake after he's had a chance to get to more recruits and Kind of figure out the the eventual fallout from you know yesterday's game, which was a really fun one in the swamp. It felt like the swamp of old. So uh, you know, again, Florida's going to have some tricky games coming up. I you know I don't think because they played Alabama to a two point game, you can assume that every game not named Georgia on the schedule is going to be easy. I don't think that's the case. I think there's going to be some tough games here in the next couple of weeks. But I think Florida has the pieces if they can stay healthy to really make some interesting things happen this season. So. That'll do it for today's episode of the podcast, guys. If you like the episode, be sure to like it. Subscribe on YouTube. If if you're listening on a podcast avenue like iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever else we are, be sure to leave us a favorable review. And We will be back on Tuesday with more from the Swamp 24-7 podcast. Thanks for tuning in.